You're listening to The Togetherings, hosted by the Alaska Humanities Forum. The Togetherings are recorded conversations with Alaskans from all walks of life, sharing their perspectives on big questions that touch us all. Each series shares a common theme that is explored across episodes. Hello and welcome to The Togetherings, hosted by the Alaska Humanities Forum. This is Simonetta. I'm co-hosting this episode with Han Hillman, representing Mental Health Mosaic, an arts and journalism project of Outnorth Radio, our partners for this conversation series about supporting mental health. I am. Hi. This is the first conversation of this series, and we're going to talk about supporting long-term recovery. And before we start, I just want to mm, acknowledge that we are recording in Anchorage, on the Nina land. And today to talk about recovery, we have two guests, Dana Hilbish and Adam Allard. Dana, I'd love it if you could tell us one or two things that you think are important for people to know about who you are and why you might be part of this conversation. Uh, hi, oh, thank you, Anne. My name is Dana and uh, I'll treat this like an AA meeting. My name is Dana and I'm an alcoholic. And um, I've been an alcoholic pretty much since my first drink which happened uh, preteen, actually. And uh, now today, though, I get to call myself a recovering alcoholic. And that was a, a that took a little while to get to that point in my life. I'm happy to be there. Um, I consider my focus on my recovery to be the greater focus in my life, because without it, I, you know, I, I there are jails, institutions or death. And um, I've done Two of those, and I'm not looking forward to the third right now. I got plans, so <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad you have plans. Very yeah, good. it's good to have plans. <laughs> Adam, what about you? All right, now I'm gonna follow suit with Dana. There, uh, I'm Adam. I'm an alcoholic, and um, I've been sober since October 19, 2015. And part of my recovery, you know, I started drinking. Um, I don't know, right around 13 years old and I'm 48 now. So I've, I drank for a while. I've been sober for almost six years now. And um, it, it's just great, you know, uh, going through my alcoholism, I caused a lot of trouble, a lot of chaos, uh, a lot of the fires they caused uh, per se in families and relationships and things like that. I was the start of most of them, you know, and um it's great that through recovery, I've been able to fix a lot of that stuff and get things put back together. So grateful to be here. Thanks for asking me. Thanks for both being here. I So I have the privilege of knowing Dana a bit. And when you started with, I'm Dana and I'm an alcoholic and I'm in recovery, like, I think that struck me because I just, like, I think of you as so many things. Um, and... And so I guess I'd love to hear from both of you why, um, I'd love to hear from both of you kind of why those, are, like, I realize, and, we're, and I realize we're talking about recovery, so relevant in this situation, but like, why do you start AA meetings that way? Or why do you start an introduction to this type of topic this way? Uh, accountability. Um, you know, if you, if you do the, if I, I, I'm part of AA and in the step, you know, step one is, you know, just talking is just owning it, you know? And um, until that happens, it's, you can't really proceed forward. 
So, and, and a lot of people and I, myself included will, will start out that way and say, I'm an alcoholic and, and then it gets not to be fun anymore, that portion of cleaning up and then you'll go backwards and you have to start again. But the, the good thing about, I have found about this is it's a real forgiving piece is all you have to do is show up, you know, I, I get to. I get to show up. I don't even have to show up sober. If I show up to a meeting, it, it's better if I, you know, I do, but that's not, you know, that's not it. A desire to start, stop drinking. That's it. That's all, that's all that's really necessary. And um, I'm just like Adam said, I'm just totally, I'm grateful to be at this place in my life finally, you know, where I get that or, you know, I've, I've owned that I'm an alcoholic and, and that's okay because I can move forward from there. So. Yep. And I agree with Dana there, you know, the accountability is a big thing. Um, and being in recovery, I learned that accountability is a big thing with everything in life. Right. Um, and introducing myself as an alcoholic, it's also a reminder too. Um, and the doctor's opinion in the AA Big Book, it really explains in depth about what the alcoholic is, right? And what it is, what it talks about is um, how when we take that first drink, it, we develop a phenomenon of a craving, uh, which becomes like an overwhelming desire or sense to have more and more and, and more, you know? And that's where the saying comes from, once too many and a thousand's not enough. Um, yeah, there was something else I was going to mention too, and I, I spaced it. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I told, I totally get that. Uh, well, I was in a meeting one time and, and, uh, one of the more profound things I heard in my life was that I don't get drunk from this woman was talking. She didn't get drunk from the eighth drink or the 12th drinks. She got drunk from the first one, you know, it, and that's. And as long as I, as I don't pick up or, um, you know, then I don't have to, I don't have to get drunk and I don't have to do amends and I don't have to wake up in places that I don't know where I am or who I am with or, and wonder what kind of, like you were talking about, havoc had caused to the people in my lives because I took that first drink. So that's 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 what it's all about owning it and realizing that you know just don't take the first one and it's good yeah <laughs> there's there's uh there's nothing that a drink can make better in my life today and i re i remember i do remember when i did not believe that was possible i remember when people talked about having fun without alcohol and I could not picture that I couldn't I just couldn't see it it was they, they must be crazy I don't know what's wrong with you people but I am in the wrong room you know and mm -hmm. I I, I, can't, I can't I figured it out sometimes I can have fun and sometimes life isn't fun but but it is life and I'm living it and feeling every moment of it and I'm not numb or crazy in my head like I used to be because of you know putting alcohol and other substances into my system so I don't I don't get to 
go crazy. Like <laughs> that's what we would call it. Oh my gosh, she's gone crazy. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. If there's a definition for that, I could, you know, I could see me in the dictionary right beside that word. But when I don't drink or do drugs, you know, I have a chance. Yeah, and you mentioned something about that first drink. You know, that first drink for a long time was the hardest. Um, what I was going to mention earlier, the first drink made me think of that, right? So you mentioned about going to meetings, and it's better not to go to meetings. It's better to go to meetings sober, right? <laughs> well, for two and a half years before I sobered up, I went to every single meeting drunk. I mm-hmm. mean, I was really, really drunk. And um, that was just normal for me, normal how I rolled. But I got this guy, a thing called a sponsor, right? Yeah. Um, a sponsor is someone that can help you out, uh, work through the program, uh, show you around the program and just everything with the program, right? And he just kept working with me while I was drinking for two and a half years, just kept working with me. And it was awesome. And after two and a half years, I finally hit that point um, where it, it was my bottom, my my final rock bottom. You know, I had already hit like 30 rock bottoms before that. <laughs> and um, this is my final one where I finally uh, realized what it meant to ask his protection and care was complete abandon. And I became willing to do whatever it takes. And those are a couple of things straight out of the book, right? And I found out what those meant. And from that point on, man, I became willing and started listening to him and taking his advice. You know, he never steered me wrong, ever. It was just my own uh, my own thoughts, my own thinking, and my own what what I wanted to do is what was in the way, right? And it was like, all that was just set aside. And um, from that point on, I did exactly what he said. And that helped me stay away from that first drink because that first drink was the worst dangerous one. Mm-hmm. So. I, I, I totally understand that. I don't know how many meetings I walked into or now on Zoom tuned into. And, you know, I might have been upset or, you know, it's like, things were kind of spiraling a little bit and, or just, I had some, I had, I didn't know where, where I was going to do with the problem. And every meeting that I've ever gone to, I've heard exactly what I needed to hear, you know? Um, And sometimes from the most unlikely people, people that I never in my life thought that I would connect with or have, you know, we had nothing in common. Um, and, but, but we do because we're, we're alcoholics and we know the chaos that it causes in our lives and how we are not able to, we're not able to think about anything other than that drink or controlling someone, Mm -hmm. you know, now I get to the point where if I'm not drinking, which I haven't had a drink since March 26th, 1992. Well, yeah, March 26th, 1992. My last drink was March 25th. Um, it was a beer, you know, and I was, uh, I was on a, a downslide because, um, or I was on a, a high point, I guess you'd say, because 
at the at the end of my drinking at that point in my life i had gone to binge drinking is what they called so you know i would drink for a week straight maybe or even just three nights straight and then not for a couple weeks you know and from the moment that i took a drink i didn't know whether i was going to remember what happened or not i had i later found out in in meetings and in the program that there was a title for that it's called blackout drinking you know and i that was what i subjected myself and the people around me to every time I took a drink was I may or may not remember you know what I was doing and of course there's oftentimes people after a runner like that who just really can't wait to tell you everything you know and I would try and avoid that at the, you know just the embarrassment and I didn't I didn't want to pay the price for it I just you know wanted to keep on going it's like oh well it's just something that happens you know I would get lost in trying to fix all those problems that had happened when I was blacked out and had no clue you know and that that's just such a the energy that I put forth into that into the denial of the things that happened in my drinking was just it was incredible I can't imagine why I wasn't exhausted all the time because I don't have that kind of energy to put into life. I don't have to put as much energy into life today. To, and I have a, a, I have a pretty good life, you know, I got to say. But, and I'm not exhausted all the time. And I'm not, um, and there's benefits to, I, I get to see, I get to reap the rewards for not, not drinking for not being in chaos all the time and and my mental health my um my overall um, vision of myself and vision of the world is just i see beauty around me that i was never capable of seeing before you know um i see myself as a person who deserves life you know and I, I didn't used to believe those things. I didn't used to, I just kept on going, just kept on rolling. And I, the gratitude that I have for, uh, for the programs and the people that are involved in them that, that helped me along my way, you know, and some of them are sponsors and some of them are just people in everyday life. And sometimes they're not even sober, but, they don't have to be for me to get the the point you know <laughs> i can i can get just as much from a person who's not sober as i can from a person who is it just you know depends on what i choose to take away from it and and i enjoy those little intricacies you know i, I enjoy interacting with humans or standing from afar and going yeah that's better them than me you know <laughs> and being able to do that and and not not feel judgmental just like sorry for you i wish i could help you but you're not in a place right now and when you are i'll be there you know i just put it out to the universe i'll i'll be there to help them and i know that that's this is not the point so that's that's a hard lesson to learn not to 
continue chasing after people and trying to force my help upon them, it's not going to work. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when I was drinking too, I used to drink a lot, you know. I was uh, I, I used to be a blackout drinker to accept my blackouts would last for like months at a time. I was I was one of the guys that could easily drink two fifths of vodka every single day, still stand up, walk a straight line. Um, and, you know, I I drank when I drank, I drank. So um, and then after a while, I fell into a deep, dark depression and it was bad. You know, I've, I've had a full sense of hopelessness, um, just utter dread didn't look forward to anything um you know i just i just didn't want to be here anymore um i was at that point you know and um now that i've found recovery things are totally different too like you were saying you know a total grateful i'm able to be here for my family um i've repaired all my relationships i have seven kids and that's all that's you know um they when i was drinking they wanted nothing to do with me at all because i had hurt them so much in my drinking i had caused so much chaos and pain and i've been able to repair every single one of those relationships with my kids with my uh, mom my sister the rest of my family and everything you know and it's I'm grateful that I'm able to be there for them. Um, I also find recovery, just like you mentioned, in a lot of different places also. The meetings is a good place. I mean, that's a really good place. Um, I find them from my neighbors at home. Um, there's also a culture. I'm uh, part native here, you know, my family's all from Bethel. And so we do a lot of cultural stuff up here, along with the fishing, the dancing, the um, different things like that, you know. And so we find a lot of recovery in there, too. And um, especially the new people, the new people that um, we find at meetings that are still drinking or whatever, you know, uh, just seeing the chaos that's still out there and um being able to work with them and help them through that stuff. It's, it helps us a lot. It wasn't easy. It took a lot of work, a lot of work on my side, a lot of keeping my mouth closed, a lot of direction from my sponsor. My, you know, my sponsor helped me out through all of it. Um, with my kids, uh, you know, it was, they wouldn't answer the phone uh, because I had messed up everything, right? So he directed me to uh, give them a call every single Friday. All seven kids give a call. If they don't answer the phone, leave a message. Just saying, hey, just calling to see how you're doing. I'll try to give you a call next week. And did that for like a month or two until they finally answered the phone. And then my direction when they answered the phone from my sponsor was uh, when they answer the phone, say, just calling to see how you're doing. How's your day going? And leave myself out of it. Don't talk about myself. Talk about them and how they're doing, what they're going through and that sort of stuff, you know? So repairing all those relationships basically was following my sponsor's direction. You know, he had been through it. He had gone through it. He had repaired relationships and he could show me how to do it. And so... um did that with everyone just listen to what he told me to do if 
finally became willing to listen and take direction and be teachable. That's the key to be teachable. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that is something that I, I was not, you know, my cup was always full. You couldn't, you couldn't tell me anything. And, and I haven't been as fortunate you, as you to repair all the relationships that I had. Um, I have other, yeah, I just haven't been that. What I had to realize was, I love you. I bless you. I let you go. And I, you know, sometimes just me living my life to the best of my ability and not harming others is the most that I can do to keep the other relationships um, just not bringing harm to them in any ways. That's, that was a hard lesson because I had some expectations, you know, of myself, of, of others, even as much treatment and as much of the universal sponsor, you know, that's what, what your sponsor told you. That's kind of like universal sponsor speak. They all, <laughs> thank goodness. They, they all have that gene they're dialed in you know and and i've, I've had the same um blessings listening to that but it's mine have not um they haven't turned out as well and so i had to accept that you know um acceptance uh, that that's a really i used to you know, I, I can tell you, I used to despise that word, <laughs> acceptance. Mm -hmm. No way. <laughs> you know, it's just, there are a few words that they would just set me off. I just couldn't, I, I couldn't have any, I didn't like them, but acceptance, I discovered it, it's necessary. Um, I have to accept the will of others. And I, and accept myself for who I am and for where I'm at in life. And, you know, stop pushing so hard. It, you know, it, if it's meant to be, it will. And if it's not, then okay, you know. Um, that That's a difficult, I still struggle with that sometimes because I would like to have, you know, better relationships than I do, but, you know, there's a lot of damage and I have to respect that, you know? So, so yeah, acceptance. Mm. <laughs> I think it's like page 461 in the big book. <laughs> yeah, and 417. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> quoting big book numbers, that's another. So, I'm going to throw that book at you, but. Yeah, yeah, acceptance yeah. is it. But you know, the, the universal um, sponsor speak has kept me, it's kept me in, in the program. You know, when I have faltered and I ha I've never desired a drink, but, you know, I faltered in my relationships and my um, not making my amends if I needed to, uh, just, you know, many ways, many, many ways. And, uh, not doing my homework, not doing my step work, like, uh, because it was too hard, or I was going to have to admit things that I, I didn't want to admit, you know, here I've been 10 years sober, and, and I still have this problem. 
I'm not admitting that to anyone. And, you know, and I would go along and dance along for a while. And then next thing you know, there I am sitting down doing a fourth step. And then next thing you know, you're doing a fifth step. And then next thing you know, there's the freedom of the release. And I don't have the monkey on my back anymore that I had. So, you know, it's, it doesn't stop from, from the first time you take a drink uh, or you don't take a drink. It just, it, it gets easier and it gets harder on some levels, you know, and that varies day to day. And I don't, I don't, I used to need to control that. <laughs> like, if they would only just do it my way, you know. <laughs> what is wrong with these people? I've heard myself <laughs> saying that so many times. You know, what is wrong with these people? Hello. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> you know? this, this is my own like, mental inabilities and my own my own needs that I I've discovered that I um I could relate to people who were having a bad day more than I could relate to people who were having a good day sometimes. And for and sometimes that bothered me. You know, it's like, what the heck is wrong with me? You know, am I depressed? Blah, blah, blah. I went through all the language, the, you know, but it was it was empathy. You know, I had developed the ability to, to not need to be like them, but to understand the kind of day they were having because I had had that kind of day and I heard it. I could see it in their facial language. I could see it in their body movements. And sometimes just sitting there and allowing people to talk and not, you know, just like what a sponsor does, but, but just allowing people to talk and vent and then get up and walk away was the most that I could offer to a person who was in that kind of turmoil and had no clue why or had no clue that they were even in that depth of turmoil. They were just, you know, spinning. And I, you know, I can't control that. I can't, I can just help them by being sober and being in their presence and, and listening. And so, and sometimes people would come back <laughs> repeatedly because they felt it was a safe place to talk. You know, it was a safe ear to talk to. And I realized that 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 was a good thing that that was okay but that took me a while to to get to that point it's like for sometimes i would think what the heck is wrong with me you know why am i attracting these people and but there is there wasn't anything wrong it was you know providing a need and providing a kindness and 
not getting, not expecting anything in return or, you know, basically getting anything in return. And that was okay. And it, and it still is okay. You know, it, that's sometimes that's the most, the best interactions I have with people these days are, are with some people are just knowing that for a moment they got to say what they needed to say and be in a safe place to do it. And okay, I'm good with that. You know, I'm, I'm good with that because I'm, I'm sober and I'm, there is no harm to me and I did, I cause no harm to them. So those are things that I value today that I didn't used to even realize had value. So those are some of the, the that's the beauty that I have found in this world. Some of the beauty. Yeah, most of the time just sitting there listening to someone is probably the best thing that we could do for them. Mm -hmm. And it also helps us too, you know. Um, there's been a lot of times where I've had people come up to me and just start venting like you were talking about and just go just going off ranting and you know and um i just sit there listening and i'd ask questions about what they're going through every now and then so i understand what they're going through and i see a lot of times people will uh solve their own stuff as they're talking because they're able <laughs> to process things so that's a pretty cool thing too you know and um you mentioned the step work if i hadn't done the step work at the at the beginning, you know, there's no way I'd be able to do that kind of stuff. No way at all. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd be just like you, man. Why aren't they listening to me? Um, you know, every now and then I'll just joke around with my boss and be like, hey, why can't they all just do what I tell them? You know, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, in a perfect world, that'd be awesome, right? <laughs> but, but the fact is, you know, it just doesn't work like that everybody's got their own things everybody's got their own things they're going through um whatever you know and it's just a matter of what we do um focusing every day on doing the next right thing what can we do to be of service how to how can we help these people and um yeah i remember when i was doing my step work i first started two and a half years before i sobered up um and you know i was going to meetings drunk all the time so it was it was cool you know i was a one two three wonder they say uh doing the first second third step which means you don't really put in any footwork right you don't really mm -hmm. do any work so and then it came time to work on my fourth step and i'd relapse again so i'd start all over again and finally mm -hmm. got part way through it and got the fifth step didn't want to talk to no one about all the stuff i did and went through and everything so i'd relapse again so start all over again it just went like that for two and a half years when i finally sobered up i had had enough and um i finished all the way through my ninth step within 45 days and wow. you know because i couldn't go back to where i was at the at the very end i was hopeless i was homeless um had nothing except backpack on my back and sleeping outside and wherever you know it, it was bad and it was this time of year so it was getting cold at night <laughs> <laughs> so mm -hmm. and um 
Yeah, started, I was done with step nine through in my first 45 days. I had started all my amends. You know, there's, there's some, uh, ninth step is uh, where when you hit step nine, that's the point where you've done a lot of work already, right? And you're starting mm -hmm. to work on your amends with people. And I had already done all the amends that I could at that point. And there's other amends that we call like lifelong amends or living amends or whatever you want to call them, right? And those are amends that take a very long time that are a long process, like the ones with my kids and my family and stuff like that. Financial amends are another long one, especially for people <laughs> in recovery, uh, because I owed a lot of money to a lot of people and I'm still working on that, right? So it's not one that I didn't get done with all the way, but I was... I had already started it, right? And doing the right thing with that. So um, when I say through step nine, that's what I mean by that, okay? And working 10, 11, 12, and you know, there's um, 10, 11, 12 isn't just this thing that you work one time, right? Um, it's going through the steps on a daily basis every single day. And at the end of the day, reviewing your day, how'd your day go? Did I mess up anywhere? Do I owe an amends to someone? Um, and that sort of stuff, you know, it don't take long, only maybe 10, 15 minutes in the evening. It's, it's not a big thing. Um, but going through all that stuff with my sponsor, um, it was, it was awesome. Um, I was able to find a job and find my own place, um, after a month and a half of being sober. Um, started paying my own bills, started paying my own rent after years of mooching off other people or being homeless or, or whatever. It was just an awesome feeling. So I don't remember what point I had there, but I had a point <laughs> <laughs> and it was going to be a good point. Um, <laughs> yeah you know if I didn't do all that if I didn't go through all that stuff and do all that stuff um I definitely wouldn't be where I'm at today um my youngest son he's 11 years old now and I have full custody of him they I, the courts actually gave me full custody of him that's crazy right wow. I know and um I got a job that I love now um, in an office, as you can see behind me, and um, get to work with people. And it, it's awesome, you know, really super grateful for where I'm at. I keep wanting to go back to that listening ear too, just listening to people, helping them out. You know, uh, in recovery, being that listening ear and helping out other people is what helps us the most in our recovery. Uh, for me personally, it reminds me of where I was and the chaos that I caused. And uh, it's a constant reminder that, no, I don't want to go back there. And I'm still willing to do whatever it takes to not go back there. If that means to, if my sponsor wants me to do a little extra stuff, you know, um, I'm going to do it. And like I said, he's never steered me wrong. He's always told me stuff that's been good for me and my recovery and healthy. And it's always been good things. You know, why, why not do that? Um, I remember I used to fight him all the time when he wanted me to um, wear a collared shirt to a meeting. 
right? Because I was a <laughs> jeans and t-shirt kind of guy and ain't nothing was going to change me. If you don't like it, that's fine. You don't have to like it. It's still what I want to do. And um, it sobered up and I finally started listening to him wearing a collared shirt to, to meetings, right? I, I took his direction. I did it and um, did that for... Gosh, I, I was going to say I did it for my whole first year or two in recovery, but I still do it. And um, come to find out, he was grooming me for work because work wants me to wear collared shirts. And so <laughs> I wear collared shirts. And he wanted me to show up at meetings a little bit early, half hour before the meeting. Um, he said if I wasn't half hour early, then I was late. So I made it a point to be half hour early every single meeting. I had no clue why, but he never steered me wrong. So I listened to him and got to talk with other people, newer people that were in the programs, other people that had been around for a lot longer than me, you know, and I didn't know it. I didn't see it at that time, but he was also grooming me for work there too, because work wants me to be on time too. So, you know. The program, it teaches a lot of lessons, too. It taught me a lot of lessons that apply to just everyday life. I think that's what I was getting to. I don't know, but it, it was good. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I think you got to a really good place. Yeah. Uh, it's, that's the truth. I think living amends is the... Um, and how I ended up in recovery was I ended up in prison. How I ended up in prison was I took a life. And so want the, about the only way I can give back for that particular, other than the amount of years I spent in there, what is uh, make a living amends to, you know, just do the right, do, do the next right thing. And I have found that I'm okay with that. You know, I, I never thought I would be, and I never thought I'd be able to turn down the the voices in my head that were telling me that I'd never, you know, you'll never make it. Um, all the labels that the voices would talk to me about in my head. And those voices are still now because of the work I've done, but also because of the people that I choose to associate with now and that I choose to you know, I found one of the biggest things I found is um, look at your role models. Who are your role models in life? You know, and mine are very different now than they were. That that's for sure. Um, and not a single one of my role models uh, is an alcoholic or a practicing alcoholic or a practicing drug user, and and they're also uh, not. They're not rock stars. I mean, they're rock stars to me. They're rock stars in the world that, that I live in, but you know, they're, they're not on that stage of life. Um, they're humans. They also have, um, I've learned not to put people on a pedestal like I used to do all the time because it was easy to knock them off. And that was part of the chaos that I did. You know, I said, well, look what you did, you know, so I don't have to act right either. And, um, how dare you um, let me down like that? You know, I, I just, there are so many tapes, the old tapes that play in my head. And one of the things that one of my sponsors had told me, and I hear it a lot in the rooms is if I think, if there's a road that I think I'm gonna go down and it's, it's a road from my past, play the tape through all the way. 
you know, and see where it ends. And, and I have a, I have a lot, I have a lot stored up. So, you know, I have a lot of tapes that I can play and go, whoa, okay. I know that's not where I'm at. Okay. You know, and, and fortunately, like I said, I have a, I have a community of people around me now, you know, in my, you know, my, I'm pretty good. My personal bubble people, you know, in my, in my layers around me that are stable are, um, are like-minded. They want the same thing for me that I want for me, because that's the same thing they want for themselves, you know, not because they want it for me so they can be grandiose, but because that's what they want for themselves. And, and by living that way themselves, that's what they project to me. And that, that's some of the most beautiful lessons that I get are, are watching my role models, you know, walk through life and wow, you know, I, I'm so happy to be at a point where I can appreciate them and, uh, I can, I can learn from them. You know, I, I have some friends who lost a really, really good friend and, they didn't understand this when I told them, but I was listening to them talk about, you know, the, the past with that friend and, and how they were going to help the service and after the service. And, you know, I sent them a text letter telling them, thank you for modeling life for me in that way. And, and a couple of them didn't understand what I meant, but, you know, just, they were modeling life just life, life on life's terms. And sometimes that's what I need as much as anything. You know, I don't, I don't need the grand gesture or the, you know, here's 50 bucks, move on. But having people around me that, that model life in a healthy way and knowing that I chose those people as much as they chose me, that, that keeps me grounded, you know, because I, um, I learned in, in treatment that um, sometimes when people, new people would come into, a pro, into the program, new people would come into the, the treatment program, generally what'll happen is they'll gravitate towards the sickest person in the program. And, you know, I used to think that was cool. I didn't realize that, that, you know, all these new people were gravitating towards me. And I thought I was the cool person on the block. You know, <laughs> I didn't realize, <laughs> whoa. It's like, and I know these things now. It's like, I was like, oh, I'm so thankful they went over there and didn't come to me. Yay. I must be okay. You know? <laughs> That's, those are things, those are memories I have. These are, you know, um, life, things that I've learned in life that, that I value now. And I, unlike some of the things that I, I used to value, like where, when was the next, you know, next big sale on vodka going to be, you know, that was, I, you can, I could always tell you that, you know, but, I have no clue today and I'm so grateful. <laughs> so, yeah, I, you know, role models and um, and the things that I value in life have, have changed. And I'm and so grateful. 
my role models have changed too. I remember uh, the my role models used to be who could drink the most vodka. <laughs> if you could if you could drink a half gallon, man, you were my role model. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, they're different now. I needed those people that knew how to live life on life's terms. Um, they're the ones that taught me how to get by in the beginning because I didn't know how. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my go-to if something happened, if something didn't happen, if anything, you know, it was to run to a bottle and that was it. I needed someone that would show me how to work through things, how to how to process, how to feel things, how to process feelings. That was something I had never done. Mm-hmm. And um, it was crazy having those role models that actually have been doing it for a period of time and knew how to do it and could show me how to do it. Um, it also calmed all those thoughts, calmed the voices in my head too. And um, yeah, those role models, they're, they're awesome. I have role models now too that are beyond belief. You know, I'd second, I'd, people I'd never knew existed. I thought they only lived mm-hmm. in fairy tales or whatever. Exactly. You know? yeah. Yeah. People that actually live life, people that have happy families, happy relationships, people that have had jobs for longer than two months, two years, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, The job I'm working at now, I've been here almost four years and another month and a half will be four years. And this is the longest job I've ever had in my life. My sponsor, he had a job or his job right now, he's been at for like 12 or 13 years and I remember when I sobered up it was just a like less like six six seven years something like that you know and I was like holy cow how could you have a job for so long you know it's just unbelievable and um you know these role models are amazing I have um you mentioned earlier about just a bunch of people that normally wouldn't mix right um I've had that experience too, you know. I walk into a meeting and I see people that are there that are homeless, right? Which that's was my people at one point. And then sitting next to him will be a business owner. Sitting next to him will be a doctor of some sort. Mm-hmm. Sitting next to him will be a cashier at a gas station, you know. It's a lot of people that normally wouldn't mix and we all get along great and we understand each other because we have this one common bond of things that we went through and our and our drinking or our and our addiction and stuff and found recovery it's that one thing that we can hold on to and work with together and just have a blast um another thing i found that's really helpful is being out and going and do things with those guys you know uh we have guys that um we get together after meetings, go out to have something to eat, go out for coffee. We'll get together on weekends, go to a movie sometimes. Um, that was mostly before COVID. But um, <laughs> even even during mm-hmm. COVID, all summer long, would go downtown to Park Strip and play volleyball every single Monday evening. And, you know, just being out and doing things with other people in recovery. Um, that's where what they talk about the fellowship, you know. Um, a group of people that just goes out, goes out and does things together. 
so that when people are going through a hard time, we can recognize it and be able to work with them and help them through that stuff. Well, it's been amazing uh, listening to you guys. We're getting close to the end of this episode and we usually ask in closing, what's one question you'd like to leave our listeners with? I think for me, um, I, it's who's your role model and why are they a role model? And they, do they deserve that job? Do, are, you know, are they worthy of you? Um, that, that's what I would um, ask the listeners, you know, because it, that's how you, if you don't learn about yourself, if you don't, <laughs> if you don't learn about your own identity and how you got there and, and the things that you value in life, then um, it, it's going to be a bigger struggle than it has to be. So, you know, who's your role model and are they worthy of you? I'm going to use that same question, but kind of add on to a little bit too. Um, who do you hang around with? Who's your Who's your buddies? Who's your social network, right? Um, and when you're hanging out with them, what do you do? Do you go do something good that's fun, that's productive? Do you go to the library, read, whatever, you know? Or do you go to the bar, party, hang out, whatever, you know? What, what do you do when you're with your buddies and the people you hang out with? Mm -hmm. 